Hello and welcome to Bellhaven Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Weber. On today's episode, you'll be listening to PSY 342, Psychology of the Exceptional Child. I hope you listen and enjoy. All right, this is class eight and we're on session three. Um, we're talking about uh, the cerebral palsy and the things that can happen with cerebral palsy and we're going to look at some of the different disabilities remember this is a neurological impairment so we've had damage to the brain um, depending on where that damage was located sometimes you do see other things that go with cerebral palsy so um, hearing problems are a potential issue that you may see as remember your brain processes your hearing um, we also see vision problems. Now, these are likely to be more of the muscular problems where you have um, problems with the maybe crossing of your eyes or something like that. Because remember, this is a muscle issue in the main point. Um, frequently, we're going to have seizures or convulsive disorders that tie to cerebral palsy. Um, if you see someone wearing a helmet, uh, and they have cerebral palsy, that would probably be why, and that's if they should fall down, um, that will help protect the head. And we'll look more at seizures in a little bit. Um, dental problems could occur. Remember, um, we talked about the jaw is affected when you have cerebral palsy, and so sometimes it's very, very hard for the person to make their mouth close all the way. And there will be um, a lot of drool that builds up and sometimes spills over and, and that can cause some, some cavities and things like that in the, the mouth. And that's where we have most of our dental issues. Um, and, and another thing that is a problem here, I mean, this person may be very, very bright, um, but they can't control their body and their body's making these random movements that they're not being able to control and they're drooling. And you can see where someone who really doesn't understand this might not be too willing to come and approach and, and visit with this person and they feel very isolated a lot of times. Now, about 50% of these individuals will show some level of intellectual impairment or mental retardation. Now, the other 50 don't. Some of these kids are actually quite gifted. Um, some have issues with learning, and that will be definitely true if there's a lot of the vision and hearing problems as well. And now we're going to move and look at spina bifida. Um, spina bifida, it comes in three different forms. Um, only one is really serious. Um, this is a malformation of the spinal cord, and that has occurred sometimes in utero. And when the baby is born, you will see um, that there is this malformation. Right, the first type is called spina bifida occulta, and it's really not much to worry about. Usually what we see here is just kind of a place on the spine somewhere where there might be a birthmark um, with a little patch of hair on it. And there's really the there's no huge problem to worry about with that. Right, the meningocele form is when there is a disc in the spine that is very weak. And there may be a um, kind of a cyst type thing over that weak um, vertebra. And that cyst is, is able to be removed. It's got like some spinal fluid in it, but it doesn't have cord in it. Um, then the person's going to function fairly well. But should there be, you know, any injury um, where they got pushed or something really hard on that weak spot, there may be problems, but because that vertebra is not as strong as it is the others are, and so it is at least at potential risk. 
Myelomeningocele is the form that when people say, oh, they have spina bifida, they're talking about spina bifida myelomeningocele. And it is more serious. And this is when there's a protrusion on the back. Now, remember in meningocele, there's a little cyst back there. Um, this is the spinal cord is literally looped. Um, it comes down and loops up and it protrudes because it's actually looping out of the back and um, there may be skin over that and there may not be it may be kind of open um, wherever that is it can be quite low um, on the back like way down it can be really high by the neck but wherever it is that little um, place where your spinal cord is looped out from there down you're going to have paralysis of the spine so it's always better if this is a little bit lower and there's a lot of upper body movement with us but um, that isn't always the case and um, there are some problems you know with being able to have control over bladder and bowel functioning because of the paralysis that you would see some of the causes, we don't always know them all, but here are some that have been uh, researched and that we know are, are tied to spina bifida. Usually it's early on in pregnancy, in those first couple months when the spine is actually forming. Um, oftentimes there are some environmental factors. You'll see that we have some listed and a couple of genetic factors as well. Um, but some of the environmental things are certain acne medications that have... Um, caused problems with spina bifida and so that's something mom should really check into before they try to get pregnant um going to the sauna a lot during pregnancy is called hyperthermia and that's not a good now obviously this is just while you're pregnant um having diabetes and um diabetes during those first few months in particular um during the pregnancy can be a real problem and then um it's if they don't have much folic acid that's another problem so taking folic acid during pregnancy will actually reduce this risk by a tremendous amount and usually doctors do recommend um, that you take folic acid and, and other prenatal vitamins so here's kind of a picture as you can see um, this is a child who's very very young we can tell at birth um, you've got a picture of the baby and you can see a kind of a protrusion there with a, this one does have kind of a covering but it's not completely covered as you can see you can kind of see down in um, to the area where that cord is um, and that can't be cut off all right the, if you do you cause even further problems so what we have to do is that child's going to be paralyzed in the legs but fortunately we'll have use of arms so we'll have to have a wheelchair that'll have kind of a cutout opening to allow that protrusion um, to um, not kind of rub up against the back of the wheelchair. All right, if you see in the box, you can kind of see what's happening here with our spinal cord. Um, you've got the vertebra coming down and they're kind of bent, but in this kind of brown thing that kind of curves around, you'll see that we have the spinal cord that's kind of in gold and it should come straight down, um, but it loops up and out of the body and there's spinal fluid in that. All right inside that and obviously we cut that off we cause even worse problems than we're having so we we leave this alone this one is, is an open um defect because it hasn't healed all the way over that sometimes you, you won't see that but certainly we always have to check and see if the cord itself is involved and we can't remove that if it's if it's meningocele and it's just a little cyst and the cord goes straight we can take that off so this is the one we're, we're talking about Here's some of the characteristics. It's associated with a couple other characteristics. 
Most of our folks who have spina bifida myelomeningocele have average intelligence because this is the cord and not really the brain. Um, so that's about 75%. Um, you're going to see um, some of those folks, even those who are of average, struggle even um, though they are average and they have some attention issues occasionally like ADHD, some memory problems. Remember, executive functioning is just remembering kind of in order what do you want to do and making decisions. Um, usually if it's, um, you know, on the spine and we have this, we have some problems with our bowels and, and bladder controls. Most of the time we're, we're going to end up, you know, using a catheter, um, trying to control bowel functioning through laxatives. Um, so usually it's something like that that's happening. Um, it can be hard for our young folks, and um, a lot of times because they are likely to be in a wheelchair, um, they're going to have a few more challenges in terms of social development. They're um, not going to be able to engage in every activity that a lot of the other children will do, and, you know, kids are very active, so this may be difficult for them. Um, we're going to move and look at seizure disorders now. And what we're going to see here, uh, we have a seizure. There's um, electrical discharges in your brain that occur that aren't your typical electrical discharges. There's always electrical discharges, but these are abnormal ones. They come at random times. Um, the thing that usually people are talking about when they say there's a seizure disorder are what we call generalized seizures. And they, they used to call them grand mal seizures. That's French for the big bad. Um, and you may still occasionally hear that particular term. Um, but our normal general seizures are called tonic-clonic seizures. Um, they have different phases to them. You're going to start with what's, well, most people do, with an aura, which is kind of a signal that you would have that's letting you know that you're about to seizure. And it might be a smell that you smell only at that time or a taste that you have in your mouth that you know you never have any other time metallic maybe or something that you see or feel and that's just to let you know all right um you're about seizure tonic is when your body gets very very stiff every muscle stiffens up in your body and then the clonic part is the actual seizure where every neuron in your body is all firing um, at you know one right after the other and every part so every piece of your body from head to toe is going to be moving um, it's totally out of the person's control they, they can't stop it um, many times they stay conscious sometimes they don't um, and then there will be a recovery period at the end of that um, so it is convulsive um, everything is seizing um, the loss of consciousness for at least a brief moment some for a much longer moment um, some don't remember even having a seizure whatsoever um, and that they really are waking up very confused. All right, as I mentioned, aura is the signal, um, tonic the stiffening, clonic is the movement. Um, it usually doesn't last really long. It, it feels like a long time when you watch these, um, but usually not longer than about a minute um, for the clonic part. And if it goes over five minutes, you really do need to call um, for 911. And if it's the first seizure or if they have one right after the other, you probably need to call 911 anyway. Um, recovery is they're going to be really, really tired. This is as tiring as running a marathon. Um, and they're exhausted. Um, if it only happens once every so often, then probably, you know, they can go and 
take a good bit of time to recover. Some kids are seizuring several times a day. Um, there have been some who've seizured hundreds of times a day, and obviously you can't just take every day off. Um, and so there we're going to try to find some medication to work with or possibly um, surgery. There are occasional surgeries that are done in the brain to help with these. Um, absent seizures um, are formerly what we call pedimol seizures or the small bad. Um, and we'll just have these little small periods where it looks like the person's gone into a trance. And they're just staring um, at what appears to be nothing. Um, they may do some little small movements. Some of the folks blink. And, and it, whatever they do is consistent. So like the person who blinks will always blink. Um, some people will just curl their fingers up on one hand and that's kind of their um, little thing that they do and these don't look like seizures a lot of times they look like daydreaming and they're missed quite a bit because we just aren't expecting this to be a seizure 